Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, podcast fans. This is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello out there in uh, Archaeology Podcast land. This is Dr. Alan Garfinkel. I'm the president and founder of the California Rock Art Foundation. And what we do is we identify, evaluate, manage, and conserve rock art both in Alta, California and in Baja, California. We conduct field trips. We have trainings, exercise. We do research. And in every way possible, we try to preserve, protect, and coordinate treasures of Alta and Baja California rock art, of which there are many and diverse. We also work closely with Native Americans and uh, partner with them to recognize and protect sacred sites. So for more info about the fabulous California Rock Art Foundation, you can go to carockart.org. Also, I'm I'm open to give me a call, 805-312-2261. We would uh, welcome sponsorship or underwriting, uh, helping us to defray the costs of our podcasts. And also membership in California Rock Art Foundation. And of course, donations since we are a 501c3 nonprofit scientific and educational corporation. God bless everyone out there in podcast land. You're listening to the Rock Art Podcast. Join us every week for fascinating tales of rock art, adventure, and archaeology. Find our contact info in the show notes and send us your suggestions. Hey, Rock Art fans, this is Chris Webster. Welcome to episode 92 of the Rock Art Podcast. On today's episode, I interview Dr. Alan Garfinkel on his own show about the 2022 Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival, which, as we're recording this, happened just a few days ago. So he's fresh off the festival and has a lot to say. Welcome back to the Rock Art Podcast. And as always, when you hear my voice to start out with, that means I'm interviewing Dr. Alan Garfinkel on his own show about topics relating to rock art. So, Alan, welcome to your show. Well, God bless you, uh, Chris <laughs> Webster. It's it's always a, a wonder and an adventure when you and I interact and you never know what's going to happen next. <laughs> but uh, it's it's a blessing. Yeah. And uh I thank you for this continuing adventure that we're on. We're almost pressing up to the uh, century mark in uh, oh, the yeah. number of, of different uh, podcasts, the episodes that we have. So we'll have to have a celebration when we when we hit the uh, golden 100. We'll definitely have to do that because actually I was just thinking about that when I saw 92. I was like, oh, we're getting dangerously close to 100. And I was thinking, man, it took us probably a year and a half of just talking about doing a podcast before we even did one. And now we're almost at 100 episodes. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's uh, fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. So speaking of things that take a few years to, to really 
come in and, and, and get uh, and get really good. One thing that's been getting good consistently year after year is something we've talked about quite a bit on this show and had people involved on the show and and, and organizers and attendees. But that is the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival that happens in Ridgecrest, California. And you were a, a key feature of the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival this last weekend as we're recording this in early November. And we're going to talk about that on this show because, you know, we've talked about the, the pet festival before, but we, I don't think we've ever talked about it when it's like this fresh in your mind. Cause it was just a no. few days ago, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was literally last, last weekend. There's a lot to reflect upon <laughs> on, on, on this one. And, uh, it's an interesting dynamic. So we'll get into it. How's that? Yeah, sounds good. So let's start with, give us an idea, because sometimes it's a little different year after year when they get different acts and performers, but lay out for us what the what the basic structure, maybe some of the highlights of this year's festival were from the from the vendors to the, you know, things that were, that were performing and, yeah. and things you could see. So they've been up and down and back and forth and trying to figure out what they want to be and how to create a petroglyph festival. This is the only one in the world, as to my understanding. Yeah. And so Ridgecrest itself has branded itself, the town has branded itself as the city of the petroglyphs. So wherever you go throughout the town, you will see images of petroglyphs, either as paintings or as sculpture or what have you. Mm-hmm. So I think the town is finally beginning to recognize that they're special and unique and, and have a, uh, a bit of ambiance and symbolism and genesis. What's that, what's that word? The French je word for quoi. some sort of a, yeah, je ne sais quoi. So that's, that's interesting. This is like the eighth or ninth year of doing this. And I've been at most, if not all of them and seen it evolve and seen the experiments that work and don't work and what happens and what, doesn't happen. And when I talk to the people who are managing the festival, you know, they have a whole different array now. They uh, took uh, one of the individuals, uh, a woman, you know, rather mm-hmm. young woman, who obviously had some talent in this arena, and she became the executive director of the festival. Now, as well, simultaneously, cool. they open a... Um, brick and mortar facility called the California Welcome Center. And that's on the main drag. And it's a Mm -hmm. beautiful, just wonderful facility that itself, again, publicizes and promotes and provides outreach to the general public with a signature or emphasis in part on the rock art. So... Mm. I know we uh, have talked about this to some extent or not, but um, when you go in that welcome center, which is right there next to and contiguous with the festival, there's a um, a, a set of images, a set of um, headsets that you can wear and you can yeah. take a 3D tour of, of both Little Petroglyph Canyon quickly, but also on the other one, you can see petroglyphs and rock drawings and rock paintings from all over the world and step into them in a three-dimensional arena. So that's, wow. 
that's brand new. That's that's a brand new mm -hmm. piece of the puzzle. Rather interesting. So, although that's a sidebar, it's interesting that they have been able to pioneer that and work with one of the most uh, cutting edge and advanced people who are specializing in, you know, this, uh, how would you put it, this historic preservation or, or historic interpretation, indigenous mm -hmm. outreach and understanding on, uh, on cultures throughout the world. And, and they're there to um, edify and uh, I think bring some recognition and understanding to uh, the exotic. How's that? Nice. I like it. That's really cool. I can't wait to pass through Ridgecrest at some point in the future and uh, check out that welcome center because it sounds it sounds really cool. I mean, welcome centers are oftentimes we see a lot of those in our travels and they're oftentimes just a sure a small building with a volunteer working in and some pamphlets for, for things in the area. <laughs> they're not always, right. you know, really well put together things. Yeah. And this one, when you walk in, you're just your, your jaw drops and your eyes pop because yeah. they have graphically displayed so much of the landscape and the eye candy that makes mm -hmm. Ridgecrest special. So nice. That's one that's one piece of the puzzle. And the California Rock Art Foundation, this 501c3 that I've pioneered for many years, is an is an intrinsic part. They actually have the books and this and the DVDs and other mm. paraphernalia that they sell there that represent the California Rock Art Foundation. And they, um, they appear to have, have, uh, have welcomed or integrated uh, my services and the organization into what they're doing through the festival, which is remarkable. Nice. You know, we're, we're basically, you know, not much of anything. You know, we have a, mm -hmm. a budget of maybe, maybe ten or $20,000 at most just to pay our bills. And um, we lead little field trips mm -hmm. and have cultural tours and try to try to do something, but to be, to be elevated and grandstanded at a festival mm -hmm. that brings in, you know, five or 10,000 people <laughs> Yeah, has a hundred, <laughs> has a hundred vendors, a, um, you know, and has a, uh, a park what it's called the mm -hmm. Petroglyph Park that they must, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on to create this replica place that uh, allows one to walk and experience rock art in a uh, magnificent way is mm. rather edifying and, unu and unusual. It's not something that is conventional, is it? You don't see. No, did it like seem this. like attendance was was really good this year? I've noticed. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, you know some events uh, last year was a little, you know, was a little bit of an anomaly because in 2020 there weren't any events at all anywhere, and and people didn't do anything. Right, so a lot of people right. attended things last year. But how was how was it this year? Did it seem like there was a, a fair number of people there? Places packed out, absolutely packed mm -hmm. out. I've never seen anything like it. Wow, there are more people there this year than ever before, ever before. I think it doubled in size easily. Jeez. And people and people uh, were there to uh, to go to the you know the powwow and appreciate that. 
And I, mm-hmm. I got a different flavor from the powwow this time than I ever have. Uh, you know, Native people have had a challenging journey at many different levels. Sure. And they feel that often their culture is diminished or not recognized, and they don't know who they are. They try to live in this industrial society, but yet they also want to try to preserve their culture and traditions. And what the powwow does is bring that together in an honorable way, in a, in a way that mm-hmm. it's a centerpiece, a showcase to non-Indians, and it's a beautiful experience because the costuming and the dancing and the music and the food are all there. And also mm-hmm. the uh, various art and artifacts that are sold are, uh, are magnificent. They're just amazing. Yeah. So I got that ambiance this time. That came through in a very authentic and uh, explicit way that I didn't get before. I never got that. Mm-hmm. But this time I really, really felt it strongly. Now, there has been, uh, you know, critiques about, well, you know, you're here in Indian Wells Valley and this is California and the Great Basin and the Desert West. You know, why do you show off other Indian groups from all over the country? Well, you know, <laughs> I, I, th- I thought about that back and forth and, and they have a good dose to, of some of the native people that are immediately in the area. They do. And mm-hmm. there's no reason why they should not give homage and recognition and acknowledgement to other groups as well. It's in the Native American Heritage Month. And um, I now really don't see a disconnect with doing that as much as it was before. Mm -hmm. How's that? Nice, nice. All right. Why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we'll talk about what some of your direct responsibilities were uh, and how you interacted with people at the 2022 Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival back in a minute. It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. 
the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Welcome back to episode 92 of the Rock Art Podcast. This is Chris Webster, and I'm interviewing Dr. Alan Garfinkel today about his participation in the recent, by recent, I mean just a few days ago, 2022 Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival. Again, we've talked about this a lot on this show because it's a very you know, unique event and, and it's only one of its kind really in the world. And it's just a, a really cool thing that you're involved in year after year. So let's talk about that now. What were some of your direct responsibilities? And we'll start from, well, first off, you said there was a hundred vendors. I assume the California Rock Art Foundation had a table there and, and you were probably there occasionally. <laughs> you know, we did have a table and they gave us the centerpiece. Literally, ah. the first thing that, that they saw when they got into and entered the festival was the California Rock Art Foundation table. Nice. Can you imagine? Which That's is amazing. Cool. Seems appropriate, though. That's really cool, though. Yeah. So, th so that was done. We um, sold books and gave away DVDs and had mm -hmm. people sign up for if they would like to participate. And we uh, spoke to them about uh, the nature of the organization and about uh, rock art and, and in general. But I, I, I didn't man the table at all. I was so busy that I was never there. <laughs> Nice. What, they had, nice. what they had done and what we pioneered last year, which was just an idea that I had, mm -hmm. was that we, we uh, did walking tours of Petroglyph Park. So, of course, what's Petroglyph okay. Park, Alan, right? Yeah, yeah. So, adjacent to the um, festival itself is a park that they've dedicated to the, I guess, uh, showcasing the nature of the rock art and archaeological features that exist in the Coso Range, which is mm -hmm. on base there at Ridgecrest. So most of, most of it is certainly related to the understanding of this Coso representational rock art tradition because there's many, many pieces there. Now... Additionally, to do this, there's a gentleman by the name of Oliver Dowd. We even interviewed him one time. And right. Ollie brought in tons and tons of rock. And he had to be, it had to be engineered appropriately and mm -hmm. painted or packed or somehow replicated in terms of the imagery that we wanted to render to show the people who visited what it would be like to, to, to view and instantaneously go on the base and see some of these captivating images. And so mm -hmm. he did that, but they're massive. They're just massive. We're talking about life size or larger than life size, bighorn sheep, multiples. These things stand up, you know, as uh, little beacons or icons. And as people drive by, they can see them. Besides that, they have these, larger than life-size figures that are um, the decorated animal human figures that are done in metal. Those appear alongside as well. 
So what we have is a, is a great outdoor laboratory or outdoor school, an educational platform, where as you walk around, I can lecture and tell them and talk to them about the nature of my research for the last 50 years and talk about here's this rock art, here's a bighorn sheep, here's a model, mm-hmm. uh, here's a bow and arrow, here's a decorated animal human figure, here are some serpents. And what do those mean? What do those imply as to the nature of the religious metaphor of Uto Aztecans or native people? And why would they have depicted these beings or these figures? And how does that relate back to our understanding of the religious metaphor and the theology right. of rock art? You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. that's really cool. So it's, that's- it, it, it just, it, it, it's, you couldn't ask for a better or easier thing to do. So <laughs> they, they, every couple of hours, literally, you know, it was a two day gig. And so at nine, at 11, at one, at three, I did walking tours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And they took about an hour. <laughs> so wow. I barely had enough time to jump back and see what was going on and grab a bite to eat or anything before I had my next tour. And mm-hmm. it turned out that the groups were substantial. They, um, one time we had three of time we had 10, then we had a dozen and, and, uh, people were very, very interested. And this seemed to be something, something they promoted and publicized and, and made people aware of. And they wanted it. Mm-hmm. They signed up for it and they walked over to the particular park and they waited for me. And then I walked around for an hour and went from exhibit to exhibit and asked them questions and talked to them and interacted. And it was a blast. It's a lot of fun. Nice. But yet very, edu- very educational. And I mm-hmm. think in, in one way, the I think one of the the takeaways on this or the function or the particular blessing that might be is if they would understand something more about the heritage and the identification of native people mm, and gain right. a bit of, and gain a bit of respect and then also if they could understand the value of these images and their potential significance to both science and to native people Hmm. So it's this cult, you know, it has, it has all of these, you know, spinoffs relating to it. Does that make sense? It does. And I'm curious about what type of person, to be honest with you, goes to a petroglyph festival, right? Were, do you, did you get a sense that these were like, you know, Ridgecrest residents? Or? The, they were people <laughs> from all over the place. People from San Diego, nice. people, people who were from LA, they had heard about mm-hmm. it and- and I saw, I saw the youngsters, I saw the oldsters, I saw <laughs> a lot of, you know, the in-between. They mm-hmm. had this thing nailed. They had the police out in force. They had, uh, you know, it, it just, it was breathtaking. It had, there was, it was a real festival. It was a real, yeah. you know, authentic and uh, rigorous deal. And um, Nice. I was surprised at, you know, the, you talk to the vendors and the vendors were happy. They, 
Mm-hmm. They said there was enough people that uh, they they made money, and the food was good, mm-hmm. you know, and also the the art and the sale of items was very high quality, and the even the uh, festival, the uh, the powwow, was well yeah. done, even you know, and uh, they brought it back. They brought the powwow back because they felt it could be an integral part of who the festival is. So I think it's still going to be evolving. There's, mm-hmm. there's elements to it that could, uh, could be even grander. Speaking along those lines of it evolving every year, did anything stand out to you this year that was maybe different from years past or even just last year that you really noticed, whether it's attendance or some sort of event or, you know, uh, something that happened there that was just different in a, in a good way from past events? They promoted and publicized uh, a native California Indian basket weaver and the multiple nice. traditions or genealogies. They had uh, the Parkers there, Lucy Parker and mm-hmm. her mother. Her mother is like 98 years old. And she's she was the, there at Yosemite for 55 years showing wow. the, the, uh, the people how to fashion native California Indian baskets. And her mm-hmm. mother was one of the finest native California Indian basket makers in the world. And her artifacts, her baskets, you know, sell for hundreds of thousands, if not a million dollars. Jeez. So so they had these people there. And besides, they were given, you know, notoriety and and able to speak on the main stage and interact Mm -hmm. with the people who were there. Which was amazing. Nice. nice. Yeah. Talk about, talk about a bit of a coup. And also, <laughs> the daughter lives at June Lake, which is right there, a stone's throw away. They're, um, you know, they're in the Mono Basin near Mono Lake on the eastern skirt mm-hmm. of the Sierra Nevadas. So you have an ethnic affiliation, a tie to the landscape. I know in years past, you have given presentations, I won't call them lectures, but like presentations, almost like, like paper presentations and things like that uh, on your, um, you know, the movie, the documentary Talking Stone and some other things that you have done. Did anything like that happen this time around? Did you do any of those that say, uh, you did some of those at like the Madaranga and stuff like that before, right? The museum that's on uh, in the city? Over over the course of the last 50 years, I've probably done half a dozen or more presentations at the Madarango Museum. And, and I didn't even get to the Madarango until the very last hour they were open because we, I was so I was so busy so busy doing doing these uh, walking tours, but um, they were uh, you know kind enough to sort of welcome welcome me in and they have uh, for sale you know a number of my books and the DVDs mm-hmm. and etc. So we have all of that, and we have this uh, basket book that. Um, was done that we've talked about before. It's an immense, unbelievable accomplishment. It has 60 weavers and it cost a quarter million Mm -hmm. dollars and took 10 years to make. So the Parkers and the ancestral genealogy is there in the book itself. So Mm. you've got the, you've got the Lucy Parker tell us is the mother of 
the mom who was 98 years old. So yeah, there we have it. Wow. And so it's there, there on the pages and people have a chance to uh, digest it and understand it. And okay. even when I was there, I got to spend a lot of time with Lucy and she's getting a better understanding of the appreciation for the artistic tradition of basket weaving by non-Indians, which is something mm -hmm. she didn't really understand to the extent that it occurs without looking more deeply into this book. She was shocked to okay. find out that a, number, that a number of the baskets that her ancestors have woven sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> wow. That's really cool. So that was a, that's cool. That was a, that was an, epif an epiphany and I don't know where that's going to lead, mm -hmm. but that's something that sure. uh, I think she t takes away and feels good about it in terms of knowing that there is this uh, recognition and mm -hmm. uh, benchmark measure of the aesthetic nature, the artistic achievements of her people. How's that? Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's what I was trying to do with that book. I, I was the editor, not the author. And yeah. the, the authors of that book had an idea to put that together. And mm -hmm. they just didn't have, the, they didn't have the deep seated knowledge of someone who I guess has worked with and both academically and, and interactively socially with the native people. And you, you know more about, you, you've done that yourself. So yeah. you understand yeah. that, that, that that's sure. a, a two-edged sword and sometimes you get it right, but and mm -hmm. sometimes you get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, that sounds like a good spot to take our final break and we'll come back and maybe talk about some of your top one or two highlights from the festival and maybe some future directions it could go next year or in future festivals. Let's talk about that on the other side of the break. Back in a minute. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the third and final segment of the Rock Art Podcast, episode 92. And this is Chris Webster here with Dr. Alan Garfinkel, and we're talking about the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival 2022. So we've talked about what you did there, some of the things you saw there, but what are some of your just like absolute highlights? It's only just a few days ago as we're talking about this. So what kind of high are you <laughs> coming down from as far as some of the things that really stuck out to you and, and maybe your takeaways associated with that? I like to talk. I like to talk. I like to write. I like to research. And um, I think I like to teach, but I teach mm -hmm. in a, in sort of a unusual way. I've, I've had gigs at universities and taught there, but it's different teaching out in the open, teaching to the rocks, teaching to mm -hmm. people uh, what they can see and touch and taste and feel. And so... When I do that and have done that, it's elevating. It's, um, how do you put this? I call it the Koso glow, but you get, mm. you get this feeling that you've reached out and 
informed people and give entertained them and educated them at the same time. And they go away feeling happy. Nice. And that's, that's what, that's what makes me happy as well. And it's really nice. Plus I'm outside walking around, mm-hmm. getting some exercise and getting some sun. And, um, I love it. It's just great. And, and Ridgecrest isn't too bad at the beginning of November <laughs> as far as temperature. <laughs> we, we had, we had, a, we had perfect weather. It was like nice. 67, 68, no wind, beautiful sky, just gorgeous. Yeah. There was a cloud bank over the eastern skirt of the Sierras, just mm-hmm. buffeted there, just sitting there, all those puffy white cumulus clouds sitting there mm-hmm. on top of Owens Peak and the eastern skirt of the Sierras. And Inwells Valley is one of the more remarkable places that I've experienced and people come yeah. from all over the world for a variety of reasons. One thing is they have different kinds of clouds than they have anywhere else in the world because they, mm. they have that where the wind stops and gets sheltered mm-hmm. because it hits that Eastern that, that Sierra and then it blows out and it creates these really stringer clouds that are very different. And so, uh, didn't have any of them, right. but, uh, it's a, I did talk a, a bit about the geography, the linguistic prehistory, the archaeology, the ethnology, and all the various mm-hmm. mechanics of doing it. Plus, what's really nice is you, I can point to the Sierras and go, there's where the pinion, the pinion base camps are. There's where the, the pinion storage caches are. That's where they dropped me in a helicopter many years ago, and I had to walk along the Pacific Crest Trail before it was built. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nice. And and nice. that's and that's rather fun, don't you think? You know, it, it tells a story, yeah. and it uh, it gives people a tremendous insider connection to kind of my my life way. How's that? You know, as an aside, you're talking about the clouds and you know the uniqueness of uh, of some of the cloud formations and things like that. It made me think something yeah. I've thought about a lot of times in the past, and I'd love to see a series of books someday, or even chapters in a single book where, you know, if it were chapters in a single book, like one chapter would just be weather. The other chapter would be, you know, animals. Another chapter would be ceremony, stuff like that. But highlighting rock art, either in a region that's abundant with rock art, like this area here, or even just rock art around the world. And like the rock art of weather, you know what I mean? Like how are clouds and rain and stuff like that represented by different groups around the world? I think that'd be fascinating. Yeah, that's fan- that's fantastic. What a, what, a, what, a, what a fantastic idea. Thematically, you have this this series yeah. of, of Im- images and stories based on, you know, certain certain phenomenon, certain subject matter. Yeah. Yeah. I talked a lot about I talked a lot about rain. I talked a lot mm-hmm. about bighorn sheep and about uh, gender and about increased rights and all right. the, all the above. Nice. And uh it's, I think it surprised people. I just don't think they, they really had a appreciation or understanding before we did these kinds of tours of what the subject matter is and how interesting and connected it is to this deeply religious phenomenon. How's that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and they got it. Right. Now, and that's in, really cool. In the future. Yeah. And I think that's important. Now, in the yeah. future, 
this uh, California Welcome Center has invited us to sort of set up some sort of a program where we could provide lectures or have people attend these uh, presentations on some sort of a, you know, a function where mm -hmm. you get academics or those who are interested to um, assemble and have a bit of a conference. So we haven't put it together yet, but I think that would be another piece of the puzzle because people, if they wanted to step into and learn a bit more, they could simply attend, you know, one of these papers or whatever and hear what some of the academicians have to say and what their mm -hmm. discoveries have been vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the science of it all. So yeah. that's, a, that's another potential piece that could be uh, very valuable in the whole exercise. Well, speaking of the Welcome Center, uh, we had Eric Hansen on from Blue Planet VR again a few episodes ago, and we had him on a long time ago, really kind of leading up to a lot of the stuff he's been doing. But he was talking about, well, first off, he's talking about some of the stuff they've got going on at that Welcome Center. But also, I just want to make a mention real quick, when we were done recording that episode, he mentioned the Blue Planet VR app that is on the Oculus Quest 2 system, which I have, and I use almost daily for work and other things. I mean, I downloaded the Blue Planet VR app and it is a really cool way to just see these areas around the world in very, very good detail. It's never going to be, you know, in this day and age, it's not as good as like, like being there, but it's like 90% as good as being there. And it's just, if you can't actually get to some of these places and he's got, you know, imagery from, I mean, literally around the world inside of this application. And it is really cool. And it's really neat because... I don't know if they, you know, for the Welcome Center stuff that they've got going on, I, I don't know if they've had a chance to actually capture like Little Petroglyph Canyon or something like that. But with its remoteness and the fact that it's on a ultra secure naval installation, <laughs> it's just like really hard to get there. Just from that reasons alone, it would be nice to have, you know, that as a as a, as a thing you could explore through this uh, through this medium and and thinking along those lines. What are some things you think the Petroglyph Festival could do in the future to really enhance the user experience from on-site people that actually show up, but then maybe year-round festivities related to stuff like virtual reality? Yeah, I think in the future, what I'd like to do is, is to participate more actively. Mm -hmm. I've been involved actively, mainly in trying to acquire entertainment or content from Native Americans who are ethnically affiliated mm -hmm. with the region. And that's been, okay. a, that's been an enormous challenge, by the way. So, but they've gotten them. They have gotten them. And so finally, there is that, over, you know, that overarching connection where you've got the regional people, but you also have the broader Native American element as well. They also have, you know, mm -hmm. now entertainment. They've got Native American bands, literally, that are indigenous exclusively. And then they've got um, hoop dancers and, and uh, other people that uh, sing or lecture or uh, tell mm -hmm. stories, things along those lines. So they're getting sort of a, a repertoire, a, a, a variety of Native American entertainers. They also mm -hmm. opened the, the function with uh, a woman who then sings the national anthem in the indigenous language, which is quite amazing, mm. I think. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's so an it's either interesting a Nav- take. Nav- Navajo or a Paiute Shoshone or whoever. Mm-hmm. And um, they're typically recognized and they've won an award or somehow they're, they're there in their particular indigenous regalia. And it's sure. It's, it's, and it's, it's breathtaking and people are really interested in this and they, they're there in, in numbers now wanting mm-hmm. to experience this and recognize the beauty and the awe and the, and the exotic nature of hearing this language that exists for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yep. I, I really like yep, it. That's really yep, cool. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> that, that's all I got to say. <laughs> all right. Well, that that sounds good, and it's really cool that you were able to uh, again participate in this year after year, and uh, and increasing your um, you know your your touch on it, so to speak. And it's just uh, it's really neat to get that firsthand experience from somebody who uh, has is so close to the festival itself. So. You know, if you happen to go, if you're listening to this podcast and you happen to go to the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival, send us an email. You can send it to Chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Dr. Garfinkel's contact info is in the show notes. So just look down at your device and you can hit it right there, the email and send them a, send them a message. But it would be cool to know what your take on it as audience members and interested people in rock art or maybe even academics, whomever may be listening to this and see what your experiences were at the Ridgecrest Petroglyph Festival 2022. So... Yeah, I think with that, we will call an end to the episode. Dr. Garfinkel, anything final to say on this? Well, I'll see all my uh, followers on the flip-flop and <laughs> I guess that'd be episode 93? Yep. Yep. Yep, 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 all right. yep, as my lovely, lovely uh, esposo tells me. God bless you <laughs> out there in archaeology podcast land. Thanks. See you on the flip-flop. Thanks for listening to the Rock Art Podcast with Dr. Alan Garfinkel and Chris Webster. Find show notes and contact information at www.arcpodnet.com forward slash rock art. Thanks for listening and thanks for sharing this podcast with your family and friends. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at arcpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.